on ABC Radio. You're with Trevor Chappell. Australian dogs, why are they so significant in Australia? Why are they so important in Australia? Uh, Catherine Kovacic is our guest this morning to take a look at that because she's written a book called Australian Dogs. Hello, Catherine. Good morning, Trev. How are you? Good, Catherine. We're pretty keen on our dogs in Australia, aren't we? We are very keen on dogs. We're actually one of the uh, the biggest uh, pet-owning countries in the world. Does that, it's a, does that mean any breed, or we just like dogs and we don't particularly care what sort it is? We just like dogs. Um, looking at even old photographs, we have lots of, you know, mutts or hind breeds or whatever you want to call them, just dogs. We love them. Catherine, did you take a look at not only what are the breeds of Australian dogs and, and how you work out what is an Australian breed, but just how significant dogs are to Australians in general? Yeah, that was sort of part of the, the project, really. So looking at old photographs in the National Library collection really shows us that a historical window on society and where dogs fit in. And, and they're everywhere, you know, certainly on farms and in the bush, but every aspect of Australian life, you know, if someone's there and they're taking a picture of it, chances are they've got their dog in the corner of the picture. And that concludes with exploration as well, because we tend to forget about the important role that Australian dogs have had in exploration. Well, certainly um, our Antarctic huskies, you know, up until the Antarctic Treaty in the early 90s, we had dogs down there that were basically making it possible for, for our explorers down there to, to live and work properly. And um, and people heading off into the outback, perhaps not so much exploring as adventuring. There were certainly a, a couple of wild and crazy guys in the early 20th century who were doing all sorts of mad things, you know, proving that you could, could drive some very inappropriate British car across the outback. Um, and doing it with their dog, you know, in the seat next to them and taking lots of pictures of it. There's always like a dog hanging around there somewhere, isn't there? It's fantastic. As I said, you know, take a picture of something and it'll be a significant event and there'll just be someone's dog sitting in the corner. Isn't it? I'm just thinking about that because whether or not they get in the picture or not, they might be just out of picture. They're in the back of the ute. They're in the back of something. But that's, I, when you think about Australians, there is, whether or not it's sitting on someone's lap, there's a dog somewhere around. Yeah, uh, you know, there, there are photos in there with sort of dogs peeking under couches, and I think some of the, the great early ones, uh, when we're still in that period of the, the late 1800s, early 1900s, when people took the very serious pictures, and there'll be their dog at their feet, and the dog will just have this big, cheesy, you know, tongue hanging out, crazy-eyed face going on. He's obviously having a blast, and they're trying their best to keep the straight face. Those are the best photographs. Catherine, how far back did you take a look at dingoes? Well, certainly look at the, the history of dingoes in Australia. Um, it's still a, I was going to say a bone of contention, but that would be a really bad joke. No, that would be um, a beauty. But... Keep that in. <laughs> <laughs> um, so sort of uh, archaeologically, you know, the, the oldest fossils they've got are only about three and a half thousand years old but you know fossils require particular conditions so that that's the real issue is so when did the dingo get here certainly probably uh, no later than 12,000 years ago because we know they never got to Tasmania but um, that that's that's a real interesting debate where did the dingo come from and how did they get here and that's still raging because they can't really prove it no, no, there's, there's lots, you know, until we get something else in the, in the archaeological, the fossil record, you know, it's, it's, um, it's open to debate. So outside the dingo, what is considered to be an Australian breed? Well, we have a few. We have the quintessentially Australian breeds, the Kelpie and the Australian Healer, the Blue Healer, Queensland Healer, Red Healer, whichever name you want to get in. 
Uh, and there's a little offshoot breed of those called the stumpy tail, which naturally have just a, a very little short tail. But then we have some lesser known breeds. The Tenterfield Terrier is the more recent one. But the Murray River Retriever is actually a very old breed that only recently got official breed recognition, which sort of looks like a bit, bit like a, oh, a labrador sort of thing, but with brown curly hair. And then we have the Smithfield, which is a, a herding dog from Tasmania. So there's actually a few out there. So what makes them Australian, though, and not necessarily just a variation on another breed from another country? Well, certainly um, our, our working dogs, uh, the Kelpie and the Healer, they're, they're very, they're, you know, they've been bred up over a long time to have very distinct traits and very distinct uh, abilities. So it's that long lineage of, of selection. Um, other little dogs like the Australian Terrier, we certainly know that they came from British breeds like the Yorkshire Terrier and things like that. But again, they were bred and developed to be better suited to Australian conditions. So whether that's a, a hardier dog, a, a bigger dog that can perhaps you know, get rats more easily or just having a more wiry coat that doesn't get caught in Australian bush so much when you're out and about. So those are the sort of things, that long long lineage, the long pedigree that we can trace back and figure out where they originated in this country. Isn't that, as you say, hardier? Whenever they refer to anything that's going to be Australian, whether whether or not it was Australian cars, the same with Australian dogs, they needed to be hardier. Very much so. Um, the conditions here, the, the temperatures you know, that the dogs are going to be working in, if they're working, are obviously a lot more extreme than, than if you're in, in the British countryside in summer. Um, and that, that undergrowth, the ability to, well, you know, early days was, was hunting things, so to, to move through the bush, to chase things, to have that endurance, uh, all things that they needed in Australian dogs. I've got a text here saying uh, the Australian Shepherd Dog first registered as a breed in America after arriving here in the 19th century from Australia with the Merino breed, but how did it get to Australia? Do we know anything about the Australian Shepherd? Uh, the Australian Shepherd actually does seem to be a breed that was developed in America. So um, they, used some, they sort of took some of our uh, blue healer kind of dogs and backcrossed them with border collies and things like that. So that, while it's an Australian shepherd, it's actually an American-developed breed. That one. So why did they why did they nick our name and decide to have they would have the Australian shepherd? Because it sounds good to have Australian in there. Because our do- our working dog is so damn good. That's why. Right. So <laughs> <laughs> that's why. When you take a look at the working dogs like the Kelpie and the Healers, which I guess are the two, one, one mainly used for sheep and the other one's mainly used for cattle. So where did those breeds come from and how did they exist? Let's start with the Kelpies. Oh, my goodness. So this, it's a very long and involved story. So um, we, the Kelpie seems to have developed in Victoria, certainly from originally there were a couple of particularly good British dogs. One was called Hind Hope Jed, uh, Border Collie type dogs. And, um, you know, basically a, a man saw a, a dog working on a property and he was determined to get one of those puppies. And in the end, he managed to, to acquire that puppy. He subsequently found another dog and basically began breeding his own dogs. He never sold them originally. He only gave them to people who he, he relied on and could trust. And basically he bred up the line from there. Someone else took it on. Um, the dogs were sort of, you know, moved up, sort of up through New South Wales, through that sort of, you know, even Monaro area up that way. Uh, and, and basically the line developed from there. So it's, some people thought that there was dingo in the breeding. There is no dingo in the Kelpie line. Um, it was purely, you know, crossing good dogs with good dogs to get what they needed to work the stock. Because when you think of 
breeds of dog, for, especially from Europe, that they generally have long hair. And But you, did they need to breed the long hair out of dogs to get them more Australian, to be able to be that hardy? Well, not necessarily. I mean, we still have a lot of working border collies in Australia. It depends sure. which part of the which part of the country you're you're working in, and what conditions you need, and what you need that dog to do. So, there's a lot of farmers who still use border collies for their sheep, um, and um, you can actually get a short coated border collie too. So, um, Catherine, we've also got a huge love of Labradors and the like. Do we have a more Australian version of those? Wow, that's a really interesting question. No, well. We, we definitely love our Labradors and our Golden Retrievers, although they are no longer the, the top the top breed. It's now the, the Oodles that are coming out on top. Yeah. Um, I don't think we have anything distinctly Australian that we would say is our, is our favourite breed. I mean, there was a period where, you know, there were lots of lots of healers about, but they've, they've dropped from favour of city dogs, and probably rightly so. You know, they're, they're working dogs with very busy brains. They need a lot going on to keep them, keep them occupied. But I think the Labrador is always going to be a perennial favourite. So we don't really have, though, an Australian version of a Labrador or a Golden Retriever. It's really just a Labrador or a Golden Retriever. I think so. And I, I think the, the crossbreed dog, you know, we're, we're pretty happy to, to just have, you know, a little little wiry, shaggy face guy there. So, <laughs> are, we, are we a lover of the mongrel? I think we are. But, you know, even sort of historically, you know, you could see some, some very fancily dressed people and they just have this, this little, you know, slightly snaggle-teeth guy sitting in the corner. So it's, it's, not a, it's not a fancy thing. It used to be a society thing that, you know, if you, you know, no one of it with any decent breeding would be followed about by a mongrel dog. But, you know, we're, we're not quite like that in Australia. So we've always been happy to just, just have whoever comes along to be that dog. Actually, as you talk about it, though, because well, although Kelbys have been deliberately bred, they're still a crossbreed. And when you take a look at the healers, the blue healers and the red healers, are they similarly crossbred? Well, yes, they, they sort of came out of from one particular line, um, a guy called Hall, who had the big family family properties up through sort of New South Wales into Queensland. So he, he did crossbreed various things. He got some dogs sent in from from um, the UK and bred with other things. So, yeah, everything is ultimately a crossbreed. So, what were the, what were the, so what were the crossbreeds that he used to create the... Because I, I was always under the impression that healers had a little bit of dingo in them. Oh, yes, that, that was another thing that, that's, again, again being disproven. No, so he, he sort of, you know, got the family connections back from the Scottish borders to send their particular family line of, of good working dogs out. Uh, and again, he, he, I believe he did try breeding them with dingoes. All his records were lost, unfortunately. He did try and that didn't work out too well. There was a little offshoot of the, the healers in the early days that were known as Tim and Biters because they were just a little bit too bitey to work well on, on cattle, although some people apparently did like them, so Tim and Biters. Um, but again, it was just a matter of, of, because they had such big properties, they bred up dogs that all their stockmen used as well, so they could have quite big genetic pools and you know he had his line but if he saw another dog on another property that he liked the look of he'd bring that in and introduce that that genetic line to his working dogs it was really just a case of trial and error going for the qualities he needed and in that time it was the ability what he was looking for was the ability to move fairly wild cattle because of course they were turning them out into vast tracts of land to be able to move these fairly wild cattle up and down the property without losing too many along the way, you know, off into the scrub, um, and without harrying them too much. Uh, Matt, good morning. Good morning, mate. How are you? Good, thanks, Matt. 
That's right, yeah. No, I've, I've got a stuffy tail blue here. I got her from Bromer in Queensland. She's a great dog. I've also had work dogs on the farm. Helped at that. Uh, yeah, that's right. It was just a question I needed to ask. Was it, is it true that the Kelpie came from England and that the actual dog's name was Kelpie? So, so is the question the Kelpies came from England and the actual breed is called a Kelpie? No, the, the, the breed wasn't called Kelpie. The name of the dog was called Kelpie. Ah. Is that right, yes. Catherine? Yes, that, that's correct. So the, the original, one of the original bitches, I'll use that term because it's the correct term for dogs, um, who, who gave rise to that line, uh, her name was, was Kelpie. So. Yeah, right. I thought there was, that's great to clarify that. Nice done, thank you. Because that's interesting. Because it, that it's not a breed; it's the name of a dog, which is a good choice, though. Yeah, it, yeah. Well, there's, there's a, a sort of a, a Scottish, there's a, a mythological figure in, in Scottish Scottish legend that's called a Kelpie. But in this case, it was the dog herself that that was called Kelpie that gave rise, and she was. That's why, because they just became known as Kelpie's dogs, and then it became the Kelpie. There's a text here from Craig who's asked the question, um, I don't know if you can answer this or not, Catherine, but whether, whether or not German shepherds or Alsatians, oh, oh gee, people get thingy about that, uh, were, banned from, were banned from coming to Australia for 30 years because there was a question, but they, they were afraid that they'd breed with dingoes. Um, I'm not sure if they were actually banned. That was certainly an issue, and certainly domestic all domestic breeds can interbreed with dingoes, which is one of the, the threats to the purebred dingo in the wild. Um, I believe there was a ban on German Shepherds for a short period, but I'm not sure if it was specifically due to the interbreeding issue. So are there actual breeds that have got bits of dingo in them? No, not in terms of what we would call a purebred dog, but uh, if we're talking about dogs, feral dogs in the wild, then absolutely yes. I worked up north in Western Australia for a period of time, and there were plenty of dogs up there that were crossbred. And we had a we had a fieldy dog or a dog that was on the mine with us, or the exploration camp that had a mm-hmm. bit of dingo in it. And you can tell when there's a little bit of dingo. There's a there's certainly a I think there's a difference to what we call the eye, the way they look at you, the way they look at the landscape, and you can you usually see it most of all in the skull, in the head shape. That's where you tend to to get that characteristic. But certainly, dingoes do have several uh, quite distinct physical characteristics that you can, you do pick up, as you say, when you see them with cross crossbred with domestic dogs. Have there ever been? Um, do you know if there have been attempts made to actually crossbreed dingoes so that they could become domestic dogs or could become pets, where they've tried to create a breed using dingoes? I don't think they've specifically tried to create a breed. Certainly um, there have been people who have just tried to domesticate dingoes and there have, there are people who have dingoes, well, I wouldn't say as pets, but who keep dingoes. You need permits now, but certainly even in historical photographs, we've got a couple of photos of, of people with dingoes as pets. And I, I knew a dingo that was, um, was actually, a, they attempted to train it as a seeing eye dog. Uh, didn't work well, but uh, a little bit too independent uh, and thinking for itself to be a seeing eye dog. But certainly um, people have tried to domesticate them in that way and they're re- it really doesn't work. Um, Cole, good morning. Yeah, g'day. How are you? Good, thanks, Cole. Uh, yeah, I read somewhere where um, when the English came out here and, and uh, started running cattle and that and the dogs they brought out, I think one was a Smithfield, and it would bark and chase all the... Um, Cattle into the bush, so they apparently bred it with the dingo. And um, when they have a litter of pups, the uh, the red one in there is 
supposedly be the throw off to the dingo. Oh, to the. Sorry? Oh, okay. So the throw off was to the dingo. Yeah, and I also read in the same book where um, they actually read a kangaroo hound between um, some wolf hound and something else. So it was a while back I read about it. I'm glad you mentioned the kangaroo dog because you don't tend to see many kangaroo dogs anymore, Catherine. No, you don't. Well, I suppose we tend to perhaps call them staghounds more than kangaroo dogs. So that would be something that was a cross between either a greyhound or an Irish wolfhound and some other lurcher thing to, to have a, a very tall, lean uh, hunting dog that could hunt kangaroos, that could chase things through through the bush. So we, we have what we call the staghound now, which is the same sort of thing. Um, but no, you don't tend to see them as often. I guess because we're not hunting kangaroos like that now. No, but I can remember them in the probably late 60s, early yeah. 70s, people still having kangaroo dogs. Yeah, um, so they're, definitely, they're definitely still around. Um, it, it, they're probably it's not something that you tend to, to breed like a kangaroo dog to a kangaroo dog. It's usually yeah. that they'd be like a first-cross dog every time. So you'd, you'd have your greyhound and breed it to something that you thought would be suitable for purpose. Because they were big. I remember those dogs. Um, yeah, they're very big, yeah. Um, and you probably, yeah, it's, it's probably called a staghound now because they wouldn't like to call it kangaroo dogs because it doesn't sound as yeah. nice, I guess. That's right, yeah. Um, hello, Bill. How you going, Trevor? Good, thanks, Bill. Yeah, um, we had a dog. She's gone now, but um, we were told she was a Labrador cross, but she looked like a dingo, a, a heavyset dingo. And we had her for weeks before we heard a bark at all. And um, we, well, I would have thought that that would be a, a dingo trait. Yeah, because dingo, dingoes don't bark, Catherine. They do bark. They just don't bark very often. So oh, is that right a, that they a, do? Yeah, that's right. They're, they're, they're quite capable of barking, and they do, but they, they don't bark very often. They, they do have a lot of, of vocalisations that they use as part of their communication. Barking is one of them, but it's just not quite as common for them. Because I've always been told that they don't bark, and is that just because – is it that rare that they bark? Um, it, look, it was thought for a long time that they didn't bark, but once they, you know, people started studying them properly, yeah, it, it is, it's just a rare occurrence. And because they don't, you know, I guess both when we have a dog bark, they, they do lots, a series of barks, what we call a volley of barks, you know, rrr, rrr, whereas a dingo would just tend to do a one bark, an alert bark, one or two. So it, it is a, a rarer and a, a less intense thing for the dingo. Because they howl. They tend to howl yes. more than anything else. Yes, that's right. Yeah. It's a great sound too. I've been out to a dingo farm in, I think it was in Victoria, northeastern Victoria or something like that, and went to a dingo farm. And it's amazing watching lots of dingoes, and they're beautiful dogs. Yeah, they're wonderful to look at. That might be the, there's a dingo sanctuary at Toulon Vale just outside, um, outside Melbourne, and they're very dedicated to maintaining pure bloodlines um, of dingoes. As I said, crossbreeding with domestic dogs is an issue in the wild for, for the purity of the, the bloodlines. So... Um, they're doing a great job. Uh, apparently, Kelpie was mated to Moss on her second litter by Jack Gleeson when he was working at Yale Gogren uh, North Station, says Chris in the Gog. That's absolutely correct. You've obviously got a Kelpie devotee there <laughs> who knows knows the history inside out, but that's absolutely correct. Moss was the, the stud dog that, that he was very keen to mate Kelpie to. I got a text here saying my grandfather was a driver who had kangaroo dogs. I can still see them effortlessly sailing over fences, which is a lovely image. 
There, yeah, I think when you, you see some of the dogs in, in early photographs and, and it, when if you're lucky enough to see them moving, you know, for big dogs, they're incredibly athletic and elegant. And it's one, wonderful to see dogs that were bred for function uh, as opposed to, you know, just looking pretty in domestic settings. Chris has asked if there are any particular types of uh, breeds or dogs in Australia that have been bred for, like for hunting, like pig dogs. Well, that would probably be the, the stag hound and the kangaroo dog that we've been talking about. So, um, while, again, while there's not sort of a specific uh, line, you know, it's still sort of dogs, good dogs bred with good dogs and taking characteristics from all sorts of different breeds. So that would be as close as we get to a, a hunting dog in that sense. But we do have the Murray River Retriever if you're looking for a dog that's just going to go out and, and retrieve things if you're doing the shooting as opposed to actually the chase sort of hunting. Tell me about the Tenterfield. The Tenterfield, a lovely little terrier. So, again, bred up from English breeds. So bigger. They were originally known as the, the mini fox terrier, but that's not a very good descriptor because, you know, mini anything. So um, it was decided in the early 2000s, I think, uh, all the, the breeders at that stage got together to come up with a name for their own breed. And because um, George Watmo, the Tenterfield saddler of, of Peter Allen's song, mm. Uh, he, he was he was a, an advocate for the breed and very active in the early development of it. So all the current day breeders decided that Tenterfield Terrier would be uh, the best name for this lovely little breed. Originally bred for as many terriers like that were for for ratting, uh, for vermin control, um, but a lovely a lovely feisty little terrier, very much an Australian dog. Just that sort of you know that sort of gutsy little temperament that you, you love to see in those little guys. A lot of those dogs have then become house dogs and not necessarily that they weren't bred to be a house dog. But did we see that? Did we also see some breeds of dog not just made for hunting, not just made for working, but just because we're cute and we love them? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, you see, you see breeds like, you know, King Charles Spaniels, which came out from England. So that those little spaniel breeds, very much bred to be companion dogs. Um, we don't have anything quite like that in Australia. Nothing bred specifically to be a companion dog because I guess we're, we're all sort of out and about kind of people or certainly, you know, in, in the past century or so, you want dogs that are going to come along come along and do things. But definitely there are, are breeds that are just, and I guess the oodle would perhaps, some of those little oodles would be the modern-day equivalent, wouldn't they? That they're just, just there to be furry companions. I mean, our little dog, Snoop, who's a, a cross between a Staffy and a Pug and Cavalier King Charles, I think should become a, a specific breed. However, I don't think it will. Uh, one off what, that one. Either. What would you call that breed? I'm just, I'm just trying to think. I don't care. It's just adorable. <laughs> anyway. Um, ben, hello. There you go. Yes, Ben. I was just wondering if Cooley are an Australian breed. You used to get them out Dubbo way. Cooleys. Have you heard of those, Catherine? Yes, we haven't talked about coolies. So very much an Australian breed, the Australian coolie, um, bred by uh, German migrants uh, originally over sort of the South Australian Victorian area. And again, uh, a working dog that, that they took traits from some of the best dogs that they thought they had in Germany and brought them out here and crossbred them with other things. So. Um, uh, what we call a merle coat is what you see very often in coolies, although that's not, not quite desirable because it comes with some genetic issues. But that's that sort of uh, bluey-grey and black mottly pattern. Um, and so a dog that, that looks a little bit like a, a, a 
border collie. It looks like basically a cross of other Australian dogs, a bit like a, a cross between a border collie and a kelpie, but with a, a quite distinct coat pattern. Um, although they're, as I said, they're working to sort of diversify the coat pattern because of some of the genetic issues that are associated with that. Uh, a great working dog, and there is actually a very interesting pic- early picture of a coolie in the book Australia's Dogs, which is a wonderful find too. Well, wonderful. Look, thank- we've only just touched on this, Catherine. It's been great talking to you about it, and obviously people will learn a lot more as they take a look at the book. What is it that you enjoyed about doing it? We're about a minute away from the news. I, I look, I just enjoyed getting into the National Library's archive and looking at all the old pictures. And, you know, really, the, you could look at this book and just look at the pictures. You don't need to read anything that I've written because the, pic- the pictures, you know, if you're a dog person, just looking at those pictures is all you need. You're the first person that's ever come on and said that you don't need to read what I've written. Just look at the pictures. <laughs> Thanks very much for joining us. My pleasure. Great to talk to you. Catherine uh, Kovovich uh, joining us this morning. And the book is called Australian Dogs.